We're going to continue on with our, our series today, which is the Christmas is coming. And I know my, my kids get really excited. I may be not quite as excited, but I got told first thing this morning, five days. I was like, ah. <laughs> It's like two days until I start shopping, um, but five days till, till Christmas is coming. And we, we, three days here, thanks. I was trying to be organized. And as we head towards Christmas, we're going to continue in our series of looking at the Old Testament and what Scripture says about the hope that is to come, and then looking at what the New Testament says about the birth the birth of Christ, the birth of Christmas, the birth of, of the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. But before we do that, I want us to, to think about our family and think about how much space you've had this year to care for others. Have you had space to care for one more? Have you had capacity to look after somebody else? In the conversations I've had um, this year, there's been moments, and I know this very much for myself, where I, I didn't think I could fit one more person in to my circle because I was just maxed out. Sometimes I was just maxed out with my social circle, simply being at home with my family, and then something else would come in and just, I just didn't feel like I had the capacity to care for, for one more person. And if you've ever wondered why, why sometimes our social circles were so full, sometimes our capacity was diminished, or sometimes you're on the other end of the scale where you just felt so alone, like there was no one there for you. If you felt the extremes of that this year, then this message is going to speak into that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today I want to look at Scripture and unpack it for us. So that as a church, we can see that you always have room for one more. May we see where we fit in that equation. In Jesus' name, amen. Research shows that a guy called Dunbar, um, that he did a bunch of research on social groups and people's capacity for people. And Dunbar's research would show stereotypically that you could fit around 150 people in your social circle, that, that we cap out within our social sphere of, of people that we could know and have a relationship with at about 150. Now, this is a stereotypically kind of thing, so that the maths doesn't quite work in every situation, but if we were to push it um, to the, the full extent of the research, it would show this, that, that the people you can deeply and closely love caps out at about five. And so we said this morning, James McKee, your family, you'd have to choose which one of your children you don't love out of your six kids. <laughs> like, oh, Pam's there too. <laughs> Hi, Pam. <laughs> so obviously, this, it doesn't work fully. Like, this is just a, a model. So, of course, you love your family, and that, that's... that's the most important thing and, and those things like that. But, but just for the sake of the argument, sake of the, the research, this is what Dunbar came up with. 15 really good friends, 50 friends, 150 meaningful relationships, 500 acquaintances, 1,500 people who you can recognise. 1,500 people who you can recognise. I love that because I'm so bad with names. I see these pair of faces and go, hey, there you are. You're that person. <laughs> if you've ever felt like you were maxed out, it's okay because, because there's capacity to us all. Yet when we look at Jesus' example of how he, he lived, he always had space. 
He always had room for one more. Jesus never seemed to go, no, I'm done. I can't fit any more in. Jesus never looked at someone and says, nah, I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to accept you. Jesus always was just so, so he had space for one more. And so today we're going to, with that filter in our head, how do we fit one more in? How do we be a part of God's family? What does that look like? We're going to dive in. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13 says this. This is when God's people are choosing to live the wrong way. And as they live the wrong way, Isaiah speaks a message to them. And it says this. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, the house of David. Is it not enough that they practice that they um, they practice of humans? Will, will you try the patience also of God? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign, and a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means God with us. Matthew chapter one verse eighteen says. And this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came to be. And his mother was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they could come together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. A virgin would conceive the Messiah, God with us. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, and for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. And from that time and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We see the birth of Jesus once again in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And as the angel came to Joseph, who was wrestling with the news that his wife was pregnant and he didn't fully understand it. But after he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. We see that the hope of the world, we see that the promise, the the government that will sit on his shoulders, the the hope for humanity, the saviour is about to be born. We see that the the fulfillment of the prophecies is about to take place and all of the hopes and dreams and all the weight that that holds is about to take place. And where does it take place? We read this in Luke chapter 2. And in Luke Luke chapter 2, we read the account of Jesus' birth. And in verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The hope for humanity, the hope that we have, the hope that was found in Jesus. God, when he came to us, was born into a place that had no room for him. 
There was no space. There was no room at the inn. There was no room for one more. And so he was born into a modern or an ancient feeding trough, a manger, where they would put hay for the animals to eat out of. And so the first question this morning is, is with the busyness of Christmas, with the busyness of five days to go, three days until guys start shopping, you know, the, 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 the hecticness of, of this season and what it has to hold, uh, do we find ourselves like we find Mary and Joseph in, in Luke chapter 2 where there's just no room for Jesus? Are we so busy in our minds, busy with the, the breakups and the events, busy trying to plan the, the Christmas Day meal with family and friends that we've forgotten to allow space for Jesus? Is there room for one more? In Matthew chapter 15, we see how Jesus treated people and allowed room for one more. We see a Canaanite woman, and the Canaanites were the enemies of Israel. Canaan, the land of Canaan, God sent Abraham to the land, and they had the land that was given to them, and they they looked after it, and then there was a famine, and they they left for a while. But when they came back, another people group had came in, all these tribes that came and conquered the land and stolen it, lived, took over the houses, took over the areas. And so God's people came to take back what was rightfully theirs. But the Canaanites were the enemy. And we see this interaction with a Canaanite woman who who comes to Jesus because her daughter is so sick that she's about to die. And she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you heal my daughter? Would you you do what you do? And Jesus said, I came for the sheep. I came for Israel. I came first for them. Yes, I came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, but I've come for this people group. I've come to hear. I've come for the lost sheep. The woman knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take this. I'm designed to do this. I need to focus. This is what God called me to do. It's not right to take the bread that it was designed for this and give it somewhere else. The incredible faith of this woman. She said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall under the master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. You see, the, the word dog that is used is not a, a I want to say derogatory, dog-rogatory, anyway. Um, it's not, it's not a put-down because the word that Jesus used for a dog is, is often that Gentiles, those outside of Israel, were referred to as, as dogs, outsiders. But the, the word Jesus uses isn't an outsider, it's a pet. And where does a pet belong? In the home. He's saying, yes, you're not a part of Jews, the Jews, but you are mine. You belong to me. From the very first encounter Jesus has with a Canaanite woman, he shows acceptance to her. Somebody who's on the fringe of Jewish society, someone's on the outskirts, someone that'd be overlooked, someone who'd be shunned, Jesus embraces and Jesus allows. And her faith was so great that even the crumbs of the Messiah were enough. Do you have room for one more? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 to 50, we see Jesus in his hometown, and he's teaching truth. He's teaching what what God has sent him to do, but sometimes truth can be really confronting. 
do this because it's good. Don't do that because it's bad. But I like to do the bad thing. But you're not allowed to. Oh, it's uncomfortable. And so while he's teaching this truth, his, his mother and his brothers are there and they're like, we've got to live in this town. We want to get Jesus to shh, shh, stop it. And so they call him out of what is a very uncovered safe house that is absolutely packed with people and that they can't get to him and so they send the, the Chinese whispers. Can you get, get Jesus out to come and meet his mother and his brothers? The message gets to Jesus and Jesus looks at the crowd and goes, who is my mother? Who is my brother? I tell you, anybody who does the will of God and this is how I love Jesus, makes space for everybody. He says, they will be, and he adds somebody else in there. He goes, they will be my mother, my sisters, and my brothers. He makes space. He makes room. He includes everyone. If you are following the will of God the Father, you are a part of God's family. If you are doing what God has called us to do, then you are a part of God's family. It doesn't matter if you're on the outskirt. It doesn't matter where you're born into, your social status, or, or where you live, whatever it is, if you follow God, you're a part of God's family. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20, which is known as the Great Commission, begins with these words, and quite often we forget the beginning of the Great Commission. The last words that Jesus speaks in the book of Matthew before we pick up on the, the last part of his earthly journey before he sends the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. His last words in the book of Matthew are this. So the gent, the, they get together. Then the 11 disciples, because the, the betrayer is not with them anymore, they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. After everything that they'd been through, calming of the storm, the walking on the water, the feeding of the 5,000, the, the people that were, were, were blind that could see, the people that had leprosy that were healed, the people that were dead that were raised to life, after everything that they had seen, still some doubted. And in that space of doubt and in that space of, of wrestle, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It is okay to doubt. It is okay to doubt. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to have questions. It's okay not to have all the answers because it's in that, that space of needing and wanting, that space of, of not being full that you allow God to fill. It's in that space of wanting to learn that God can speak into you. God speaks the Great Commission to some of his disciples that are doubting. He always makes room for one more. Psalm chapter 23, verse 5 and 6 say this. For you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And the idea of an anointing would be that, that you are being set apart, you are chosen. We've spoken about this in, a, I think it was last year or the year before, 
about what it was to be anointed, but anointing was a special ritual to say, I see you, I see the value in you, therefore I have chosen you and I want to set you apart. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely the goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may feel like you're on the fringe You may feel like you've never been a part of God's family. You may feel like you've got doubts and questions, but that doesn't change the fact that God is preparing a place for you. He's preparing a place for you. You are chosen. You are set apart. You are anointed. Surely he is with you all the days of your life. As we heard at the dedication earlier, you've been knitted together in your mother's womb. The, the, the record of your life from the day, before the day you were born to the very end are written out by the Master himself. You are chosen. So today as we look at what is it to be a part of God's family, I want to ask the first question, are you a part of the family? Do you understand what it is to be accepted by God? Do you know what it is to be a part of the body of Christ? Do you know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you are journeying through that, if you've never prayed the prayer, if you've never thought of being a part of God's family, then I want to encourage you to pray a really simple prayer. The prayer has three parts to it. The first one says sorry, the second one says thank you, and the third part is ask. And I'm going to lead this prayer, and if you want to say this prayer in your heart, you don't have to speak it out aloud. You say it in your heart of hearts. God knows who's praying this, either at home or here in the room. But I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now to be a part of God's family. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, for those that are here, or those that are listening or watching, I pray that if you are moving something within our spirit, then you would give us the courage to pray this prayer. I'm sorry, God, that I have failed in areas of my life. I'm sorry that I have failed in my relationship with you. I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to restore that relationship when he died on the cross. I ask him into my life now so that he would fill me with his spirit. And from this day forward that you would mold me into the person you created me to be. Lord, I want to be welcomed into your family. With all that I am, help me to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you did pray that prayer, I want to say welcome to the family. Please let us know who you are after the service. We'd love to give you a Bible and and journey with you in what it means from this day forward. For others of us, we may feel like socially, spiritually, we've been maxed out this year. There's no room for one more. There's no room at the end. And I want to ask you, who are you inviting into the family? Who are you making room for? I want to give us a really simple challenge. Simple to say, hard to do this week because it's busy. The challenge is this. I want each and every one of us to have one conversation where we place Jesus in the center with somebody else. It may be that you link the conversation to Christmas. And maybe you link the conversation with what you're doing in yourself. It doesn't matter what you do. That's up for you and God, the Holy Spirit to lead. But I want you to have one conversation this this week where you intentionally place Jesus 
into the center and see what God does. Make sure that you make room for one more because God made room for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you loved us so much that you sent your Son. Thank you that you always made room for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you restored our relationship with you through your Son. We thank you that he showed us how to make room. It doesn't matter if people were on the fringes, if they were feeling left out of the family, Lord, if they were acting in a way that was full of doubt and they had questions, Lord, that you accept them with open arms and called us to be obedient to this way of living that just oozes love, that just oozes purpose, that just oozes who we were created to be. Lord, we thank you that you prepare a place for us. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would know this week that we are accepted, not because of what we've done, but because of who you are. As Christmas is coming, may we reflect on the majesty of the Messiah, God with us, Emmanuel. And Lord, in that, may we lean in to you. May we make room for you. May we listen to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.